Well, welcome everybody. It is uh, the latter part of May 2020. We've been, of course, the last several weeks in the midst of the economic shutdown with the coronavirus. And, uh, it's changed all of our worlds quite a bit. I know I've been working a lot with from home on Zoom. I've had, actually had many productive calls on Zoom. Uh, we've uh, had all our advisors. We've got 70-some advisors around um, around the country that uh, have been doing all their client reviews and bringing on new clients via Zoom. Um, and it's been pretty interesting just uh, seeing the productivity. And some clients, I think, actually might want to gravitate that to that going forward. So it'll be it's going to be pretty interesting to see how our... our um, our industry changes and adapts to this. But this, this program today, State of the Industry, we're talking about mergers and acquisitions. Um, we're doing this right in the midst of um, Allworth had just completed a, one of our, another transaction, which we'll talk about that. Um, so we've got, uh, we're going to be interviewing Bob Sponsler of Capstone Capital Incorporated out of Cincinnati. Um, he's a firm that just joined us. But also, uh, we're going to be talking with Matt Brinker, and Matt had, was in charge of the M&A for United Capital. So during his time there, they did over 90 transactions. So uh, some some little very small ones, some larger ones, everything in between. He's talked to hundreds of firms, probably thousands of firms in the many years that he was uh, responsible for heading up that. So, uh, And uh, today he's doing some new things with investing in some RAs, which I think you'll find interesting. And actually what he's doing might be of a good, good fit for some of uh, – some of you listening. So I think we've got a great program. Um, you'll be the judge when we're done. But uh, excited to, to have you be, take part of um, uh, Allworth's State of the Industry here with Scott Hansen. Well, let's talk now with Matt Brinker. Uh, Matt is the managing partner of Merchant, which they focus on corporate strategy, equity partnership, growth strategy for partner firms. But Matt's got a tremendous amount of experience in the M&A space with financial advisors. Uh, he was the chief business development officer, head of acquisitions for United Capital. Uh, for a number of years, and during their time at United Capital, did over 90 transactions. Of course, uh, they <laughs> wrapped up United Capital quite so so nicely that uh, Goldman Sachs came knocking, and um, they are now part of Goldman Sachs. And Matt um, was able to uh, somehow figure out a strategy where he can exit and go out and continue doing some of the stuff he was doing before without uh, being in any sort of direct competition with, with Goldman. So that's pretty cool. So, Matt, uh, thanks for taking a little time to join us. Of course, man. Good, uh, good chatting with you. Yeah, and I think last time I saw you, Matt, was at the Long Beach Airport, which is a little tiny. It's the best <laughs> airport in Southern California because it's a little tiny little airport, uh, and they have several flights out of there. Uh, but uh, I think you were—I don't know where you were going, but who knows where I was going? But yeah, it uh, small world, and it, uh, it's good to see. You. I would look forward to seeing you again. Yeah, I, I, I miss I miss people. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so, you know what? So <laughs> I've seen four people: my wife, my two children, and and I'm now considering my dog part of um, the sort of human. Have you race, have so, you not yeah. been? Well, Southern California was hit a little harder. I, I'm in El Dorado County in Northern California, and um, we've had zero deaths, and it's almost like life's back to normal. Not quite, but it's getting pretty close. Like I mean, uh, yeah, we're getting there. It's it's yeah. I mean, we're we're getting there. We had the beaches were closed. They opened them back up. Were you still um, surfing? Because you're a big surfer. I am. I spend a, a lot of time. I spend a lot of time in the water. I spend a lot of time on um, um, mountain bikes. Um, you know, like you. I know we've threatened to ski together. So you know, it, it, all that type of. Were you able to surf during the shut? Were you? Did you run out there with your board and hop in the water before they had a chance to grab you, or what were you doing? 
and no, no, I'm a, I'm a law a law abiding citizen. I was pretty, you know, pretty pretty above board. But you know, like when the beaches were open, you know, you know, I spend most of the early mornings before everyone's awake and my family's awake. I'll be on the water. It uh, it's a nice way for me to sort of reset oh, and get good. get ready for the day. Yeah. Well, cool. So, uh, yeah. how many years were you at United Capital? Six hundred and fifty years. <laughs> Um, uh, felt like what I type of years? How are we quantifying those years? Um, but I was there for 13 years. I joined in 2005. We had a little under uh, $300 million of assets under management. We were just bringing on our, our third office in, in the metropolis of um, Modesto, California. Oh, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... With United, when they're in their early days, were you guys focused more on like IBD reps, like um, duly registered firms, then later went to pure RAs, or well, was, all, was always a mix? Yeah, I mean, in the very beginning, we were anything but focused. I mean, we, we, we had an idea, we had a PowerPoint presentation and an Excel model, which none of it came out to being what we ended up um, evolving the business to. Um, you know, in the beginning, we were sort of like, you know, we're going to be a succession planning uh, play, all right, right? Like we're going to go and find yeah, all yeah, the yeah. older advisors, yeah. right? Um, and then we eventually, you know, where we sort of the last two or three years um, before going about the business, we became incredibly myopic and focused on what was the right type of strategic partner we were willing to transact with, Um so we got very disciplined over time. Well, you got really focused on what your kind of core uh, core proposition was, right? The whole financial life management and hundred percent. Yeah, it wasn't. I think yeah. maybe in the early, just from an outside, it looked like the early days, maybe kind of a more of a financial transaction, and then it became no, we're one company. We've got a certain way of of you in the world, a certain way of doing business, and we're gonna. Um, that fair? Yeah. Look, I mean, at the very beginning, we 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 knew that we wanted to create a national branded wealth management firm with a centralized platform that scaled the scalable. It's just we we, we the firms that we were talking to in the very beginning, we were willing to talk to wirehouse advisors, we were willing to talk to investment, you know, IBDs, RIAs, whether you were a port, you know money management money management centric or whether you were financial planning sector. Centric. We we were willing to talk to sort of the whole spectrum, you know. As we evolved, um, we recognized what type of firms we were best for strategically, and spent most of our time talking to that that segment, which meant not a lot of time talking to wirehouse advisors. Um, we can that's a whole another yeah, yeah. six hour conversation as you <laughs> probably understand um it, but it was just easier we solved problems and helped firms in a very specific segment of the market the ra channel with specific advisors who are trying to do specific things um and we just wanted to constantly be engaged talking to those um because our value prop using stupid terms um, really resonated with folks that, um, you know, wanted operational scale, um, wanted a unique client experience, wanted the branding and the marketing that a a firm um, at scale can bring. So um, that's what we did. 
And then when you guys partnered up with the United Capital, how long did you, I mean, with um, Goldman Sachs, how long did you get, you stay on board? I resigned. Yeah, I resigned before the deal closed. Okay. And then how much time did you take off just to go goof off mountain bike and surf before you you got back working again? (laughs) So I was supposed to be on the beach for, for two years. Um, got that down to a year and spent about, I don't know, probably seven months of it before uh, on the beach, uh, just really before I got a little stir crazy. You know, I I think you can, um, surf and, and yeah, I get it. You know, the deal, man, like, yeah, it just became after, you know, it's, it's, it's the benefit of playing hooky is that you're playing hooky from something. So it's it's funny. um, I I talked to a friend of mine uh, this week. Um, and he's of course, like everyone's been holed up in his home office for the last few months. And, uh, he said he was planning on retiring a couple of years. He's like, there's no way I'm retiring. I can't. <laughs> he says, exactly. I realize I really, I, I need to be engaged in work. I need to go out and see people. I need to, I can't, this retirement thing's not going to work for me. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, 100% I can relate. And, you know, I'm you know, 46 years old. And um, so anyway, I, you know, what I wanted to do was, um, you know, continue to stay, stay in the independent um REA space. I, you know, fundamentally believe in it as a um, platform and a structure where clients are better served. And I just didn't have a lot of interest in in working for um, a large bank that just looked at the client um, arguably differently and not necessarily in a um, in a bad way, but just differently. So, and what is so, it? What's your focus now? What are you doing with what's Merchant? Mm. What are you guys doing? I, I mean, I read the corporate yeah, so, strategy, equity partnerships, and growth strategies, but I don't know what that really means. I have, I have no idea what that means either. Um, it so sounds what, good, what though. we're doing, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, um, a bunch of MBA mumbo jumbo speak. So, we're you know, we're making minority non control investments in uh, wealth management firms that we think. Um, with the highest degree of humility that we can help um, accomplish the things that they're trying to pull off. I think it's a great um, and that, oh, thank a, you. No, it's a great opportunity. It's funny. I was just talking uh, with a uh, producer before this, and I said, there you know like so we've done nine transactions, but it's all about the right kind of fit. And you know this more than anybody, right? Because you've been doing this for so long. It's it, there needs to be the right fit on both ends. And there's there's just a lot. Of, I don't really view us that we have any real competition out there. There's other firms that are doing similar things, and maybe not quite so similar. But there's just so many different flavors out there. And um, what I've what I've personally learned and and discovered and experienced is by having um, we we we. It's almost three years now. We brought in a, a private equity partner, and just uh, having that. I feel like I have a group of uh, smart consultants with a checkbook is what it feels like, mm. right? So mm-hmm. it sounds like what you're coming in and doing, you want to be a, a, a minority investor, so people still have a, a, the control of their organization, but you're there to help them. All the knowledge that you've <laughs> accumulated over the years, plus all of your resources and, and relationships, to help these guys really put kind of fuel on the fire to help them grow. Is that pretty much what it is? Spot on. Couldn't, couldn't have said it any better. Yeah, and I think it's um, I think you've got a <laughs> great uh, great runway ahead of you. I really do. There's um, just uh, lots of need out there. That's for dang sure. 
Yeah, I, I look. I mean, I think the the last you know thirty days has created three years of 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 disruption, accelerated disruption in our in our in our space, where you know firms that are you know digitally ready, they've got capacity where advisors and their staff can spend more time client facing. Um, they've got a, a proactive outbound communication process radio, podcast, video, email, social, um, are, are, are thriving in this, um, you know, are, are doing thriving, so maybe an overstatement, but are still but growing, are still growing. Yeah. And, and I, I bet, I, you know, if I asked you how you're doing and, and all worth is doing, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to guess the answer is, um, you know, we're adding new clients. We have net and new flow, means- net new flow every week, not at the same level we were prior to COVID-19 though, but we'll, of course. We'll, we'll get there again. You'll get there again, of course. And so where are those, where are those clients coming from, right? That's the question. And, you know, we can, we can assume the clients, the advisors that don't have all of those things that I just said, um, clients are wondering, you know, okay, where's my advisor? Why aren't we, you know, where's the proactivity of reaching out? What's, Where's the weekly digest of what's happening in the market, or what should I be thinking about? Um, and so those those are those disadvantages are becoming wildly, wildly exposed, as you know, in this type of market environment. And you know, if you go back and look at 08 and 09, um, posts coming out of that deals exploded. And you know, I would bet that most of those deals that happened post 08 09 were those of strategic nature, meaning the firms that struggled with, you know, differentiated client experience, you know, capacity and scale, you know, blah, 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 um, picked their heads up and said, okay, look, I need to do better by my clients. I need to do better by my staff. I need to do better by myself. If I want to be in this business another 10, 15 years, um, I either can try to build this stuff on my own or identify somebody who can help me be bigger, badder, and faster. Um, and then that's why I'm going to bet that you all are going to be a lot more busy coming out of this um, from a transaction um, uh, perspective over the next, you know, make it up, you know, 24, yeah. 36 months. So, so interesting. So you were involved at United after 08 or and through 08, 09, right? And then did mm-hmm. some deals that valuations, obviously, uh, they've came down then and they're, they're down again now because Revenues and margins just aren't what they were, right? Um, Correct. But I would imagine looking back, you can probably think right now in your mind of some stories of some firms that joined you right after the crisis when things were looking really crappy, took some chips off the table. I don't know what the financial structure with United, but I imagine part of it was they would sell some a, a chunk, take some cash off the table, and then swap some equity within United. Is that how it worked? Yeah. Yeah, and – you can probably have some pictures in your mind of people that have done did extremely well doing transactions right at that time. Uh, I mean, definitely. You, you know, I mean, you know, for 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 certain. And you know, the the, the folks that um, you know, the folks that 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 did transactions in that in that period um, it, did great. Right. I mean, that's that's there's not much more to to say than that. They did great. Yeah, things recover, and even if the valuations were a little, mm-hmm. little lower at that end, unless someone's planning on cashing out a, entirely and going and sitting on a sailboat somewhere, 
Um, right, exactly. They might want to wait. Well, I don't know what they would be waiting for. <laughs> Who knows what the future is going to bring? <laughs> I think well, we're right. all a little surprised how well the equity markets held up or bounced think, back. Yes, uh, sure. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, you think about just um, as, as a buyer, um, you know, making, allocating capital to this environment without having really true clarity and, and, and insights is going to take a lot of buyers out of this market. Um, I think you're going to see a couple things. Um, buyers who have always looked at this space through the lens of the spreadsheet, who really don't fundamentally understand the advisor-client relationship, um, the, the value of degrees of client experience from you know, asset management to full holistic financial planning um those buyers are you know they they tend into coming into this environment were obviously highly levered um they you know typically were paying on the top end of the bands from a valuation perspective those firms are going to be it's going to be interesting to see how those firms come out of this environment um there's a you know you'll, you'll, you may remember this group um uh, in 08 and 09, uh, NFP was a, a super mm. aggressive um, <laughs> roll up. Um, I've always well, thought that was a strange that was a strange one to me, but it was a bunch of transactional life insurance guys mainly. A hundred percent and a consummate roll up. Um, you know, wealth um, wealth trust, um, another uh, you know aggressive levered roll up if you go back and start you know you know google searching those and and, and replaying that history the you know investment news and everybody covered it you see the aftermath of bad buyers getting exposed in a in tumultuous volatile markets and so um those those buyers were effectively refreshed with another round of buyers during this last nine ten years bull run but um i think those firms are going to take a, a deep step back which I think is okay, um, but it's going to allow the real strategic uh, buyers who really um, provide true value beyond a checkbook. Um, and I'm a little biased, obviously, but um, to, to really um, make a, a dent in, in, in the space. And then look, you know, you fast forward four or five years, everyone's got a short-term memory problem. Everybody, right? Markets recover. We start another, you know, massive bull run. Everyone gets levered up, and um, you know, we we rinse and repeat. But um, that's a that's a story for another day. <laughs> so, wh- how much do you think valuations have changed for firms, say from January of this year to, well, it's now the end of May of 2020. Well, if a firm was worth, um, let's just say, if a firm was worth a million bucks. Yeah. On January first, just any ballpark. Sure. Yeah, look, I mean, I think um, I'll dance around your question artfully. You ready? Yeah, we all dance around because it's so it's so dependent on so many factors, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. It's such a hard question, but um, I'll 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 say this. I think it, it, let's assume that there's no change in valuation. Right. And because um, I think the most interesting part of the answer might be um, really the terms. Yes. Um, let's say that, you of know, course. January, right, someone might be paying 80% of that purchase price in cash balance in a, you know, a 12 month earn out. 
um, that that I think changes where we might be looking at deals that it's you know 40 50 percent cash um, and then the balances um, on on an earnout over a longer period of time it, that that I think is where you're going to see a lot of the um, changes in, in 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 transactions um, are multiples going to um, contract for the you know, the one to $4 billion firms, most likely not. Um, our structure is going to change. Yeah. Um, but I think these firms that are, that may be a firm that is a million dollar valuation. Yeah. I think you might see, you know, if they were traded, if they're valued at, you know, someone's paying, you know, six times, um, you know, January is five times more realistic. Yeah. For certain, just, because of the inherent lifestyle risk, um, everything that um, is sort of faulty in those in those in those revenue streams, lack of predictability in those revenue streams, and um, the risk. And so you you mentioned some uh, some firms go out and get a private valuation, right? I'm sure you saw some of these in mm-hmm. your, your days doing M and A with. How how accurate were those to the the market? Well, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when you, when a, a real estate agent knocks on your door and, and says, um, you know, your house is worth seven to seven million, seven million dollars. And, um, you know, oh, and by let the me way, list I it for you. Yeah. you. Right. <laughs> let me list it for you. So you're not, compa- um, you're not comparing investment bankers to real estate brokers, are you, man? No, I'm not. Okay, I'm okay. talking about. <laughs> okay. I'm, not, I'm not. I have a lot of good friends in that space. <laughs> don't don't get me in trouble. Um, so I, I I question the sort of um, you know plug in four variables and 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 get a uh, evaluation. Yeah, uh, I'm very leery of those. Um, but in the same breath, um, it, you know there are some really good firms that are doing really thoughtful valuation exercises. Um, Matt Crow at Mercer does really good work. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I'm seeing more and more as this industry becomes more and more professionalized and thoughtful. Um, so are the people that are surrounding the space as well, which is just awesome to see broadly the, you know, all of the technology consultants and compliance consultants and the, the, the professionalization of our industry is continuing to elevate right along with um, you know the AUM growth and you know the the households that are continuing to migrate to this to this um, to this, this side of the business. And what do you think firms should be? So let's take the typical advisor. I don't know what that means actually. Because so let's take uh, firms with a hundred to five hundred billion under management, which is maybe kind of the the bulk of firms where you'd see some transactions. Sure. There's a lot of firms in that size range. What what should they be focusing on right now? If they're thinking about a transaction in the next six months, twenty-four months, thirty-six months, that's a great question. I, I, I would focus um, as much time on extracting the lifestyle risk out of the business, the people dependency uh, out of the business, because uh, I think that is effectively the biggest. Um, detriment to 
valuation when somebody's looking at va- at, at the really the underlying value of the business. Meaning, so you mean like the founder of the firm? He's he. I'm mostly he's so sorry, women. Um, he, he's still the big shot. His name's on the door. Um, name's on everything. He's all. I mean, yeah, yeah, and yeah. He, and, he, he, and he wants he, to retire. He, yeah, it, it, he doesn't show up on Monday, right? Like 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 stress test your business. You know, like don't show up for a week. Um, don't return a phone call. Don't return an email, and you know, see, um, you know, see what happens um, in terms of um, clients and their satisfaction and their concern, right? Like, it's not. I'm not being literal, but it is a. No, I know exactly because um, there's some that they. You know what I mean? They're available 24/7 to their clients. They're on vacation. Already available. They're so in t- that. They've never. They don't have those other layers where these the clients don't really have these relationships with other with other people. That's right. And so you know, I think what some people confuse is a high margin lifestyle business and something that has enterprise value. You don't get both, and you need to pick one. Um, and so I think if I'm thinking about selling my business, I would really fundamentally start by asking myself that question. Um, have I treated this as a lifestyle income generating job for the most part? And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but let's be prepared to call a spade a spade um, and be reasonable and rational in terms of how you think about what this business is actually worth to somebody else who has to try to get a rate of return by perpetuating profitability for a period of time like just be 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 reasonable please um and and then there's the the folks that um are you know have have really tried diligently to create a business with enterprise value and um i would just encourage them to continue that path of um like as much as possible making the firm less people dependent getting the client a client of the firm not of an individual and it requires time, work, and energy to do so. But you know, I, I can attest that those firms that that get over that um, get over that hump, um, one in terms of even even as operating those businesses, um, they 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 scale faster, they grow faster, um, clients are happier, staff is happier, um, advisors are spending more time doing um, more interesting things. And net net, um, the enterprise value of those businesses tend to be greater over over a period of time. And is this is this of, is this part mm-hmm. what you're working on now with uh, Merchant? So y- you spent the time at United Capital, got to understand the RA space extremely well, and and you've probably for the ninety transactions you talked to more than a thousand firms, right? So you've seen mm-hmm. everybody out there, all kinds of different firms out there. You have a pretty good idea of what. People need to grow, and you, you just gave me one example here of how to kind of position yourself. So, is what you're doing now at Merchant coming alongside, providing uh, some equity capital, and then helping them grow to the point where they could be in a position to have a, another transaction in the future? Yes, uh, yes, a hundred percent. And you know, the way that we've looked at how we're investing in firms is with um, duration. And, you know, I, I've, you know, I, I, 
the duration of your capital, meaning the the length in which they're they're willing to invest, and we've merchant has um, has uh, you know raised money with that notion of long term investors, um, long term duration. We love this space not for the next you know three to four years. We love this space for the next 15, 20 years. And so, you know, when you have the luxury of investing with that lens, you 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 behave differently. You um, you invest differently. Um, you build your business differently um, with different intentions of you know longer term um, objectives. And so, um, when we're investing in a firm, it's a it's a um, it gives us a opportunity because we're minority interests, because we're common shareholders, we have inherent alignment with the same underlying objective of, okay, um, you now have additional capital on your balance sheet and you now have a, a team of people um, uh, at Merchant who have all done you know, super interesting things um, you know, both at really big organizations, Mark Stilker ran retail for Goldman Sachs, ironically, um, you know, Tim Bellow started Dynasty with you know, folks from Focus. So like we have a really interesting bunch of people who have done, it's not just, you know, it's not just a macho, thank God. Um, it's, it's a bunch of interesting people who have done um, interesting things in our space. And so, yeah, we get to invest in these firms and most of them are thinking about, the things that all worth is thinking about. Okay, how do I, you know, how do I grow inorganically with a degree of scale without compromising my uh, operational infrastructure, without compromising my, um, without compromising my culture? How do I ensure that I do it with a semblance of, you know, making sure that my brand's intact and there's a consistent client experience. You know, and so you know, those are the, the 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 ideal sort of folks that we're interested in partnering with, who have done a deal or two, um, and they're on the cusp of being either regionally dominant, or might have a um, aspiration and a possibility to become a nationally um, branded firm. And uh, my my two cents on that is United Capital got pulled off that field early of becoming a national uh, RIA. Um, and I still fundamentally believe that there is and there will be 10, 15, 20 national RIAs um, that, um, that operate on the RIA chassis and um, are nationally branded multi-locations. Totally and you're starting to – yeah, and you know, all worth. Um, you know, if you, you know, think, if you think about uh, other professional services industries, law, accounting, consulting, architecture. So you'll have these little regional things, but you also have there'll be some large national ones where they're very mature industries. And by the way, they don't hire um, kids out of college and expect them to be business development people. <laughs> they have a whole career path. <laughs> and you right. you can be you can have a great career without being great at business development. For some reason our industry is still very mm -hmm. much in the um let's go find hunters who can go out and hunt and kill. But um mm -hmm. it's changing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So well it sounds pretty exciting mm -hmm. what you're up to, Matt. And I think there's uh, again there's so much opportunity for uh, for you and I think you'll do a lot of good in the industry. Again, this this Thanks, last man. week, this last week, talking to a friend of mine is eighty 
His mom's 85 now, and she was 81. Someone took roughly 80% of her money in her bank account and bought a single premium life insurance policy. She's very modest. Mm-hmm. Modest net worth has zero need for any tax mm-hmm. avoidance, right? And you see those things, and it's like anytime, every time I see something like that, it just reminds me of the of what we do really does make a difference in people's lives. Uh, this industry does, and sure I, does. I know that's why. Sure, it's not about really getting helping rich people get richer. I mean, we do some of that, but a lot of it is um, we we these are hardworking people who have saved a few dollars. We're just trying to help them make the most of it and keep. And uh, there's just a lot of bad actors in our space, so. The fiduciary models. Yeah, fantastic. well, I, yeah, well, I know you guys are one of the good guys, so it's always a pleasure <laughs> hanging out with you, and um, I, I, I hope we get to ski this winter. Yeah, well, thanks, Matt. I appreciate you taking some time, and uh, uh, there'll be a link here on our website to Merchant. You want to learn more about what uh, Matt's up to and what Merchant's up to and how they might be able to benefit you. So, hey, thanks a ton, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, man. Appreciate you. Be well. Well, let's now talk with Bob Sponsler. He is the founder of Capstone Financial. Um, Bob's about a 30-year veteran in the uh, RA space or in the financial services industry, I should say. And like a lot of advisors, um, he was started with some large company, broke out at some point in time, started his own RAA, um, and grew it to about $100 million under management, so a nice, respectable-sized firm, um, and then hit a point of kind of maybe some complexity, started having some conversations with a variety of different firms, and then um, we just announced uh, just right, right recently uh, is joining Allworth Financial. So, um, Bob, thanks for taking a little time to join us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, so you are, I think we're probably about the same age based upon when you graduated college. I graduated college, I'm high school, let's say, in, in 1984. So you were probably about the same? 1983. Okay, so you're old, an old, you're, you're an old man. You're, you're older you, than you, I am. So. You, can always hold, you can always hold that over me. Yeah. And... Uh, I don't have much hair left either, so you can you can hit <laughs> yes, me on that as well. We're both both uh, old bald guys with glasses. So, uh, but um, so you built up a respectable business. I think for most advisors, most people don't have anywhere close to 100 million under management, even with 30 years. Um, you've managed to do that, so you've uh, done something right with your clients and been able to figure out how to not only find clients but serve clients and then run a business at the same time. Um, but tell me about your journey and kind of of what brought you to uh, Allworth. I mean, obviously you had conversations with other. At least I'm assuming you did. So, give me a little bit of your journey. Well, I I would say that uh, you you were you used the word com, you know complexity in your opening remarks, and um, I think what's what pushed me to consider this and ultimately join Allworth um, is. You know, I did reach a ceiling of complexity where, um, you know, I've been wearing pretty much all the hats for, you know, 29 years. And I'm part of a, you know, I'm coming from a a high-quality, high-integrity, national, independent broker-dealer. So there's no issues there. There's no issues with the whole uh, fiduciary, you know, do what's right for the client. I mean, that's that's been how I've operated for 29 years. This is more of a business decision where, um, you know, at age 55, um, you know, it it takes many many hours a week to to manage, you know, 100 120 some households with 100 million dollars of assets under management, and I've done that with just part of a full time assistant. So, you know, it it got to the point where I just wanted to join a team 
and, and find a team uh, of people with high character and high competency where I could delegate some things and, and feel like the people that I was working alongside with were going to do some of, some of these things that I've been doing um, at least as good and I'm sure better than I do them. So that's what's really driven the decision. And, um, you know, as you know, this has been about a six-month you know, dating relationship doing due diligence back and forth. And um, every, every interaction that I've had, you know, with, with your team uh, just confirms this decision more and more. So I know I'm coming to join a, a group of folks of, of high character and high competency, and um, I think my clients are going to benefit from that, and uh, my personal peace of mind and mental shelf space are going to benefit. So I'm excited about the, the opportunity and um, grateful for the invitation to join your firm. Oh, thanks, Bob. You know, it's interesting. You talk about being part of a team, and uh, you're very much a, a sports guy, right? You've coached basketball and – I'm sorry, baseball. Baseball, baseball my apologies. Uh, and you've got uh, three children that are all uh, Division One athletes, which is kind of a big deal. Usually one would be an artistic or something <laughs> in drama or something. They're all sports, uh, which is, I guess is kind of fun for you. But I think being part of a team – now. One of the things I really appreciated, I, I was a terrible athlete as a kid. I do a, most of my sports now are, I do a lot of running and cycling, mountain bike and skiing, and uh, they're individual sports. I was just, I don't, for a variety of reasons, whatever, I was terrible at team sports as a kid, so I didn't play a lot. Uh, and I've just, I've done a lot of things on my own. And I, you know, it's not funny, I was reflecting back. But one of the things I, one of the things I enjoy the most about work these days is the people I get to work with because. As the organization's grown with 200 and some odd people, there's there's just some really talented people on the team uh, that sometimes blow me away. When, and when this like coronavirus hit, you know, within a matter of a week or so, we had to all be working remotely and just watching all. What <laughs> I was kind of amazed that the uh, you, you guys chose to work with us, you know? uh, but just a, an incredible team we've got. And when I think back, I started as a REA, I left a, a firm, and I think you you were with another firm as well, right? A financial services firm. I don't want to mention the name because yeah. don't, yeah. in case you want to throw them under the bus. And I was as well. I started <laughs> – well, I started with – it was a life insurance company that had a financial planning division, which was just an – just a way to sneak up on somebody and sell them life insurance, I think, is what it really was. But uh, And life insurance has a purpose. I'm not trying to knock life insurance, but the, the, the challenge was the, the, the agency I was in, the ethics really weren't what I wanted them to be. And uh, I started with Pat McLean and I started the firm not not because we had not because we wanted to be working alone. It was just that we didn't see a, anything better out there. So we just said, let's just figure out and do this ourselves. And I'd imagine that's kind of where you were as well. Is that right? It was. Um, I I left a uh, like yourself. I left a national you know insurance based broker dealer, and um, in two thousand and three, you know when I founded my own firm. Um, I guess the way I always tell the story is it, it got to the point where I felt like I needed a degree in Chinese calculus to figure out how I got paid. You know, there were there were all these schedules based on proprietary product and non-proprietary product. And, you know, we we always held ourselves out to the clients as, as, ind- you know, as independent advisors, and yet um, we weren't always paid that way. And, um, you know, it just got to the point where in order for me to feel like I had the integrity to be able to look my client in the eye 
and tell them that I was a fiduciary advisor and mean it, uh, I needed to go, you know, start something myself. And that's and that's what I did. And I joined another, you know, independent broker dealer at the time. So it sounds like our paths and our stories are very similar. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, there's so much freedom about when you've when you've got the economic interests aligned with the client's interest, right? Because um, coming back from, you know, we both started in transaction type things. And I couldn't imagine today, and, and every once in a while, we even as an organization, we kind of start thinking about some areas like, wait, we want to make sure that all of our advisors, that their, their compensation does not change one iota, uh, regardless of what they recommend to a client. Because um, otherwise, it yeah. just... Yeah, I just read well, with some, uh, with you, some you, of the thing with some of the things we're facing right now. I mean, you know, life's hard enough. Um, you know, you, we we've got many challenges in front of us just to try to take care of our clients and and hopefully develop a good plan for them and give them some peace of mind. I mean, that's our job. And uh, if you're worried about all these other compensation issues and all that off to the side, then you're uh, you know, it, it takes the focus on what it should be, which is which is caring for the clients. So and, you, uh, you're yeah. 55, uh, one employee, uh, so very much lifestyle practice. Well, maybe it got to the point where it's hard to have the lifestyle because you're probably the man most of the time, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you go on vacation stuff and all that, so um, you've chosen to uh, essentially essentially give up some of that freedom in exchange for being part of a team. What, what are you looking forward to the next three and five years? What are you excited about? And if we're, if it's three years from now, we're looking back, what, you know, what's transpired that you're, that you're, you're pleased with all this? Well, that's interesting. Um, Pat McLean and I had that exact conversation when, when, when you folks invited me out to your offices in Sacramento and, um, and I, and I would answer it this way, you know, I, I hope when we're looking back three to five years from now, um, personally, I, I look forward to having a, a tremendous amount of peace of mind in knowing that um, there's a process that we follow, there's a team of people, you know, alongside me and, and coming along behind me that that are very competent in executing that process, and that our our clients notice that um, they they know that there's a team and a process and the process works and um, you know what 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 we try to deliver to our clients is peace of mind you know in giving them a high probability of achieving their most important financial and life goals no matter what's going on in the world and in the economy and That's so right. I I firmly believe that working together. Um, you know, I'm going to be able to take my little slice of the world here and uh, integrate it with yours, and um, I'm going to benefit from that personally, from a peace of mind standpoint, and uh, more importantly, my clients are. And how so have your, how that's have your, what I look forward to. How has this story resonated with your clients? So they hired you. You've been independent for a long time, um, and now you've reached out to them and say, oh, I'm being part of this other group, headquartered in California, of all things. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, how how has it been received? It's been received very well. Um, it, the the surprising thing is, and and I'm blessed with some really good people, you know, that I've worked with. Most of them for over 20 years as clients, and 
their their first question and comment is always, you know, we hope this is a good thing for you, you know, for Bob. Um, and yeah, that that's the reaction I get. And then, um, you know, I don't want this to come out come off arrogant at all. But then their next question is, you're still going to be our guy, right? We're still going to work with you. So, other than that, there really aren't many questions, you know. And I mean, clients are clients are smart people. Um, you know, they know that when somebody gets into their their fifties, you know, stuff happens, and um, we're you know we're never guaranteed tomorrow. Um, and and so, I think they see this as a good stewardship part on on a, a good stewardship move on my part to make sure that uh, there's somebody other than just Bob that can take care of this. You know, if something happens, and. Um, so that's how it's been received, very, very positively. Well, good. I know uh, everyone here at Allworth is excited about having you on board. And in in a normal environment, we would have a nice meal together. But um, <laughs> we're looking forward to the time when that can happen again, which I know it will sometime soon. So yeah. Well, thanks, thanks a ton for being part of, uh, of the podcast here today, and uh, greatly appreciate uh, your time. And and looking forward to working with you. I really am. Likewise, Scott, and thanks again for the opportunity. Yeah, great, thanks. Well, I think it was pretty interesting today, just the two different perspectives on uh, kind of M&A, and hopefully this got you thinking a bit, whether you're uh, a firm that's looking to grow through finding other partners to join you or you're uh, at that point in your, your career where you're looking for some, uh, there's, uh, there's some other ways of doing things. So hopefully this just got you thinking some more. And if you'd like to learn more about Allworth, we've got a great website at allworthpartners.com. And at allworthpartners.com, you'll be able to learn more about us and uh, that sort of thing. There's also a link uh, to Matt Brinker's um, firm merchant uh, at our website as well. So uh, glad you were here. If you, By the way, if you thought this was helpful, uh, and you like this, can you do me a favor? Think of three people in the industry that you know that could benefit from this and forward them this uh, podcast. If you would, please. Thanks. Have a great one. This podcast has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm with the Securities and Exchange Commission.